Would you turn with Corinthians chapter number 11? And uh, we've been making our way through uh, 1 Corinthians. And I titled this um, God in the Mess. God in the Mess, the series we were doing in 1 Corinthians. And what we have seen is that they, um, the congregation that was in that city back in the first century was uh, struggling uh, to form a kind of community that God intended the church to be. The church is supposed to be a spiritual community. And the, the, the characteristics of those people didn't always line up with the vision that God had in his heart for the church. And, and that's why we talk about God being in the mess, because a lot of times the way humans uh, look as we live is a, is a little bit messy. And uh, we're always trying to adjust our life to God's best for us. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, the scripture beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 17 says, Now in giving you these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Uh, one translation, I think it's the ESV, says um, your meetings cause more harm than good. How would you like that to be what God said about your gathering as you come together? It's like, your meetings cause more harm than good. That's what God said to them. When you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse, he says. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. <clears throat> and in part, I believe it. For, those, uh, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, or in eating, each one takes his supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk, the Bible says. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, excuse me, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And from there, we're going to talk about this, but we tie that back to what was unworthy about them. It was the fact that they were inconsiderate of brothers and sisters. It was the fact that they trivialized the meaning of the, uh, of communion and the Lord's table. They trivialized it. They mistreated each other. They were divisive. When he says you're eating in an unworthy manner, that is what he has a reference to. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And we know that that's a euphemism for some of you have died. He says, many are weak and sick and many are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened.
by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. God, thank you for the Bible, and uh, we pray that you'll use it in our lives by your Spirit to reveal truth to us. And we commit ourselves to you now in Christ's name. Amen. So the, there are two ordinances or commands that have been given to the church as a way for us to worship the Lord until he returns. One, of course, is baptism. It's an ordinance. It's an uh, observation, a command that Christ has given to us that we obey as an aspect of our discipleship. And a, and a person only needs to be baptized once in their spiritual journey, and it's a declaration. It's a public announcement of their faith in Christ. But the second ordinance is the one that we will uh, observe today in the Lord's Supper, and we observe it until Christ re uh, returns. And I have I have took a course on um, worship that was there was a book a textbook by a guy named Franklin Siegler, and I appreciated so much the way he uh, helped helped uh, learners think about what communion means, and he described the Lord's Supper as an act of worship that witnesses to the gospel of God's grace. <coughs> Excuse me. So as we practice uh, communion, it's an aspect of our, our worship gathering that we do regularly where we remember the great price that's been made in the atonement of Christ. It's a reminder. That's why it says, do this in remembrance of me. It causes us to reflect and remember what Jesus has done for us. And it's meant to be a jarring event. It's meant to jar us and wake us up. It's meant to be a stirring event when we observe communion. It's meant to prompt and awaken and cause within each of us uh, some reflection and, and also adjustment and repentance. And so the calling that Christ puts on your life at the very first is to be repentant as a way, a way of life, repentance. It's, the, um, it's like our true north. Our true north is to go, God, when my life is not aligned with you, then repentance is what you require of me. And re to repent means to change our mind and to commit to redirect our life so that we're always committed to this repent, repentant way of life. I heard someone say one time, what we usually do instead is sin maintenance. You know, we try to maintain... Uh, commit to maintenance with the sin in our life what, what god is saying to us is to abandon and forsake it and to adjust our life in holiness and obedience to him as an alternative to that kind of thinking and that requires an authentic honesty that this uh, scripture and the teaching here is intended to prompt within us and so one thing that i notice as i make this journey as a disciple i began to follow jesus in 1987 and I, I noticed that uh, what Paul David Tripp, a writer, said is true about uh, life is true about me, and that is that I'm existing between the already and the not yet. I'm between the already and the not yet. In other words, God has said it. We call ourselves saints, right? And is it appropriate to call yourself a saint? Yes, of course it is, because God has said about you, I see you as forgiven and holy. The other part of that is I also live with myself. In the same way that you live with yourself. And we know, hey, we're between the already where God has pronounced me holy. 
And he says, I see you as scrubbed clean, forgiven. But at, at the same time, we're, our feet are getting dirty as we walk through the world. We, you know, we, we miss the mark in our motives and our thoughts. And, and so we're constantly adjusting our lives in obedience as disciples of, of Christ. And, and so our humanness is in our faces and in the faces of the people that we, that we live with. So communion causes us to acknowledge that and to seek the Lord for restoration and cleansing. It is intended to be a prompt in our life to say, examine yourselves exactly what the passage says. Look deeply inside and see how your life is and then uh, adjust yourself to, to Christ. So what is the Lord's Supper? I want to give us four ideas that we can find in the passage this morning about what communion means. What's at the essence of it that God gave? He said, this is so important that just as you do, just as you preach in the service, just as you pray in the service, just as you sing praises in the service, he says, regularly, I want you to do this too. So what's so important about it that God would say, you need to do this often? Well, the first thing that we see is that it's a commemoration. It's a commemoration. It's a reminder. Do this Jesus said, in remembrance of me. <clears throat> Not, he didn't say do it by rote, did he? He didn't say do this mindlessly and just go through the motions. No, he says do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say do this with no conscious regard to what you're doing. That's not what he said. We're intended to enter into this as a meaningful behavior, even if we did it every week, and some congregations do, we'd still need to find a way for it to be meaningful, for it to inform our heart in an important way as we committed to the practice of the observation of the Lord's Supper again and again and again. When you don't see someone, it's easy to forget them. And, and the Bible says about our faith, whom having not seen you love. We haven't seen him not physically, visibly, whom having not seen you love. If we don't see someone, it's easy to forget how, how important they are to us. And so we, this, it's meant to remind us, the Lord's Supper is meant to remind us through the eyes of our faith about what's foremost. What's most important in our life? What's most important? Well, one thing that's uh, intended to be uh, foremost in our life is that we develop spiritual community. That's one purpose that God has for us. He says, this is most important of, of all the things that you could do. Experiencing God is foremost. Developing spiritual community is foremost. What we, you see in the congregation in Corinth is a weakness. They would, do, they would have as a part of their worship, most of, the, uh, of you probably have heard this discussed, a love feast, they called it. What would we call it? potluck that's what we'd call it everybody brought something presumably and the community shared in meal fellowship they had a meal together as part of the observation of the lord's supper but he says when you do that he says some of you are eating all the food before anybody else gets there and some of you are getting drunk and he says what don't you have houses to eat in and and, and to drink in. But sometimes what we have to do is get beneath the issue and see what was, what's the real problem there. 
What, was, what were they missing about what spiritual community is supposed to be? And here's what I think. I think they didn't have the ability to see each other. So if you see that person, you're not going to abuse that brother or sister by neglecting to include them. And, and I think that's what had happened. They didn't include people. They didn't see them. Consequently, they didn't include them. <clears throat> and it's, it's easy, even in a congregation of this size, for people not to know each other. Not to see each other. Not to know each other's stories. To gravitate to people that we, we are comfortable with and familiar with. And to omit people that, that we, we aren't comfortable with and don't know as well. That's the opposite of what community is supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is us extending each other, getting outside ourselves, connecting with people in a way that matters. That's why God gave us uh, spiritual community, church family, so we could know each other. And, and that takes work. He says what they had instead of that was divisiveness. He says, I hear that you're divisive. And in part, he says, I believe it. Why? Because he, he had probably observed enough to help him know that or just to know it about human nature. That sometimes we fail to get past the things that are repelling about somebody else that turn us off about them, <coughs> excuse me, that tend to make them not our favorite person. He goes, you know, I believe that you're, you're divisive that you're not connected, that you're not working that, and, and you have to work it. Otherwise, the body suffers. And, you know, what God, I know that there's no perfect church. There's not one. So if that's the journey that anybody's on, like trying to find a perfect <laughs> church, let me go ahead and tell you, not going to find one. There's not one. Because it's made up of people. However, God says in that quest, for relationships, you're going to have to do work yourself. You're going to have to do work. It's, it's what it is. It's just work to be in relationship with your family. And your church family is not going to be any different. So he says you've got to do the work. You gotta, what is the work? It's forgiveness. It's forbearance. It's godly love. It's conversation over difficult things. That's what it is. That's the work. And he says you're not doing the work congregation in Corinth and so the, there was a dehumanizing culture there was the inability to see other people I don't see you so consequently I don't talk to you I don't connect with you no that's not what God's purpose is for spiritual community it's a commemoration it reminds us that Jesus died to create a spiritual family as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become children of God. He brings us into his family, and it's supposed to be powerful and meaningful. So it's a commemoration. It's also a proclamation. The scripture here is saying that when you ingest these elements, you're saying something about your faith. My faith leads me to ingest these simple elements to say I believe the good news about who Jesus is. I believe that his body was, was sacrificed and his blood poured out in order to reconcile me and bring me into peace with God. That's what we proclaim. It's a proclamation of the gospel, a symbi uh, symbolic 
<clears throat> act of worship. It's so weird. You could buy all these, these two little things in the grocery store, right? Crackers and grape juice. And, and, but it's what we do with it in this context that assigns to it this powerful meaning. What we, we see in these, in these elements is the, the emblem of sin. It's one of the things we see. The body of Christ was given because of human sin. We see sacrifice in these, in these elements that we'll pick up in a few moments and open and wrestle with and ingest. We see need. The greatest need that anybody had was met in what Jesus did at Calvary as he died on a cross in our place and shed his blood and was raised from the dead in power over our, the sin that we had and the alienation. Our need, when we take this up and we practice this act of worship is represented the fact that that need has been satisfied in jesus christ alone that's what's in this emblem each time we participate there's a response and we see the the tension of death and life god says i I set before you today uh, uh the choice of death and life and he says choose choose life so that you may live each time we participate in the lord's supper we remember that we've chosen life and that God's given life through him. That he, the Bible says about Jesus, I've come, they may have life and have it more abundantly. Have it in fullness. Forgiveness and reconciliation are represented in these simple elements that we'll, we'll uh, partake of. Reconciliation. most beautiful truth in the Bible is that God loved us too much to leave us in alienation. He came to us and he came in... To this, our human history, the Bible says, God inhabited a human body and lived a human life and died in a, 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 the place of every person. The only righteous person <coughs> died on behalf, excuse me, of the, of the sinful people, the unrighteous people, so that he might bring us to God. Reconciliation occurred through Christ. I wouldn't hate it at all if somebody brought me some water. I should have done it uh, myself already. I think there may be some in Dot's uh, office in the refrigerator. I would appreciate it very much. Sorry, I've had a cold for about three weeks, and I'm on the tail end of it. But the, the scripture here, when we take these elements, that's what we see is the idea that we're, uh, it's a confession of faith, a proclamation, a confession of faith. And so if we don't have faith in, in Jesus, sometimes... In congregations, people will talk about open communion or closed communion. Have you ever heard uh, those terms? The idea is who can participate? Who should participate? When you come to public worship, who should participate in communion and the Lord's Supper? Well, uh, when you participate, it is a confession of faith. When you take these elements into yourself, you are professing your faith in Jesus. So the people that believe the truth of the gospel should receive communion, should participate in the Lord's Supper because it's a confession of faith. It's a public admission that we believe that Jesus didn't, uh, that Jesus died and gave himself and that's our rescue. And that's fundamental when we... uh, Think about what the Bible teaches. It talks about the Passover and how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the Passover. I'm going to pause. Hold that thought. 
and forgive me. Thank you so much. Probably will make it now. In the Passover, uh, Jesus took the, the cup and the bread that was part of the practice of Judaism, and he said, this is about me. He said, these elements are a representation of me. I am the Passover, Jesus said. That would be terribly insulting to Jewish religion if it weren't true. Jesus says, I'm the Passover. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he claimed to be. He says, I am the Passover. I'm the Lamb of God. And so he says, this is about me. So it's a proclamation. Then it's also an examination when we read this passage. It's an examination. Each time we take part in the Lord's Supper, we, we call it Holy Communion. Holy Communion. The word communion, the idea, again, is about connection, fellowship. But it's, it's framed in the idea of holiness. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's Holy Communion with the Lord. The Bible says, and we saw this several times already in 1 Corinthians, that you are bought at a price, the Bible says, and you are not your own. You're not your own. You've been purchased by Jesus. And so he, he calls us to holiness. And he talks about in this passage the idea of participating worthily. He says, some of you are not participating worthily. <clears throat> and Excuse me. He talks about the manner of their life, their forgetfulness. In Hebrews chapter number 6, it's uh, I, the first time I noticed how hard the Bible was, I was reading Hebrews chapter 6. Because it says if a person falls away, <coughs> I apologize, it is impossible, it says, to renew them again to repentance. Because they've crucified Jesus afresh and they've trampled his blood underfoot and treated it as a contemptible thing. And when you read that passage, there are all kinds of ideas that people have about it. But the main idea you get is that someone at some point who had tasted the goodness of God, had seen and heard all the things that you're hearing right now, they had full information about what the gospel meant had then gone out and turned away from that and treated it as a trivial thing in their life. And how could we? You know, if we fully understand what it is that Jesus did and, and the sacrifice that he made, you know, so the Bible is calling us to an examination of ourselves today to see, man, is it possible for me to come to worship to open up the elements or to receive them and to uh, treat them as though they were trivial. You know, the, the Bible says that God, w when we become his people, you get this special gift as a part of being one of God's children. He'll chasten you. He'll discipline you. Isn't that nice? Aren't you glad? I mean, I didn't realize that when I said yes to Jesus. Later I learned that whom the Lord loves... He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if we're without discipline of which all authentic believers are partakers, then we're illegitimate and not children. 
the Bible says. So, and when I think about it correctly, I'm glad that God will correct me. You know, I'm a parent. That's a, I remember how intimidating it was to be, be a parent to a kid. The responsibility. I had headaches for weeks before my wife delivered our first kid. I actually went to the doctor. I'm like, what? He's like, are you under any stress or pressure? I'm like, are you kidding me? We're fixing to bring a human being home. Am I under any stress? And then you have to figure out how to, how do you correct this person? But if you love them, you'll figure it out, right? And that's what God says. I love you too much for you to go on some path that's, uh, it's, it doesn't adequately depict who I am. The path you're on does not ap- adequately represent who I am. And he says, I'm not going to leave you to do that without interfering. And so he says, some are weak and sick among you, and some have even died. That's the severity. So, but what would we rather? Would we rather be condemned with the world? He says, to those that don't know me, one day the pronouncement about them is going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. If we're part of God's family, he's going to correct us to bring us into obedience. So the part of this that is difficult is that it's an examination. We look at ourselves in honesty, but it's also an invitation. And this is the, this is, to me is the potent part of what communion really is. Let a man examine himself. And I love what it says there. It says, then let him eat of that bread and drink from that cup. Do you see what it says? It says, examine yourself and then what? Let him do what? Eat and drink it doesn't say let him go his way and just keep doing what he was doing rather than adjust his life and surrender what it says is examine yourself and then eat and drink it's an invitation to grace to god's grace and we should always see the observation that way as an invitation to experience god's grace So why would a person refuse such an offer? God places before us life and peace. And and why would we choose to sit in our anxiety and alienation? Why would we choose to sit with our doubts and our failures when God says, what I'm offering to you is grace? Come, he says. And and scripture, I I read a comment by a guy named A.T. Robertson this week who talked about the idea of unworthiness and what it means. He says, Scripture does not say or imply that we ourselves must be worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. No one would ever partake on those terms. He says, many pious souls have abstained from observing the ordinance through false exegesis here. In other words, they interacted with text and reached the wrong conclusion. You are not worthy. Who is worthy? The one that's represented by these elements is worthy. But he says, the way we receive the elements can be unworthy. If I'm treating people as though they have no importance as they were in Corinth, and yet I'm coming to these elements to receive them like, no, there's no big deal. He says, you would be receiving it in an unworthy manner. If I'm getting drunk and disorderly and (coughs) yet behaving as if that's not a problem, 
It says you'd be receiving the elements in an unworthy man. So there, he says that your discipleship can be an obstruction, but here's what I'm asking you to do to come to me. The one who offers grace and for forgiveness. And so he doesn't say abstain. He says examine yourselves and eat and drink. So it's a call to participate in holy awe. It's not our worthiness that's at issue. It's our, the manner of our partaking and it's Christ-worthiness that's our cleansing and forgiveness. These tokens, as I said before, are harmless grocery store items until we associate them with the Lord's acts in our redemption. Then God uses these unimpressive items to break our hearts. That's what he's intended to do. Take these unimpressive things and use them to break our hearts. A piece of cracker and a, a grape juice consumed in holy awe can interrupt backsliding. That's the power of God. Isn't that neat? God can take this you know, little thing that we're about to do and interrupt backsliding in a person's life if you come to it with the right heart. So communion is a comfort and a warning delivered by a small piece of bread and a few ounces of grape juice. It's a commandment and a, re a regular seasonal arranging and rearranging of your heart. Communion is Christ forcing his way into our sometimes dull and dry hearts in these, in these elements. It's interesting, sometimes a scent can revive an old memory. Have you ever noticed that? Freshly cut grass can remind you of being a little kid playing football out in the yard, just a, a scent. And this is a sensory experience that God gave us to stir our memory. You don't usually eat and drink in church, do you? If you bring your McDonald's in here and you just like are going at it, it'll attract some sideways glances, wouldn't it? You know, like people are like, what are you doing? In this case, God invites us to eat and to drink as a way of worship. And so that's why we, we have the blessing of the Lord's table. I'm going to pray, and uh, then we're, we're going to have a, a few moments of worship and music, and after that, we're going to observe together the Lord's Supper. And here, here's what I'd like to ask that we do during these moments is just Continue what I hope you've been doing already in preparing your heart. Preparing your heart. Allowing God to speak to you. Opening your, yourself up to continue on this path as a repentant person. A repentant person. Someone who, as God brings to mind what's not aligned with what's perfect in him, says, you know what, that's not, I'm going to align myself with what's perfect in you. That you, you reveal to me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the, uh, this observation of uh, the Lord's Supper. God, the gospel proclaimed to us in these very basic elements. How wise, how wise you are, God, just to give us something so basic and to fill it so, so full of meaning. And I pray even now, God, we'll begin to examine our hearts, help Search us, God, and know us and help us to know ourselves. And we pray that we'll be willing to
to do what we said we would do in the beginning, that is to turn away from sin and to turn away from this world and to give ourselves fully and totally to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.